0: Hi there, my name is Phil Rosenthal, and to me, family is everything.
1: Hello, and welcome to We Are Family. I'm Julia Dennison. And if we're talking about family and food, I don't think there's a more perfect guest than Phil Rosenthal. He's the award-winning creator, executive producer, writer, and host of the Netflix culinary documentary series, Somebody Feed Phil, where he takes us all over the world spotlighting amazing eats and the equally amazing people who make them. And if you've seen somebody feed Phil, I think we're all in agreement that it sets itself apart from other food programs simply because of the pure joy, Phil, that I think that you exude in when you're whenever you're interacting with anybody, whether it's discovering bagels in Montreal, crawfish in New Orleans, tapas in Madrid, or almost an iguana in Oaxaca. That was the episode that I just watched. <laughs> almost, almost, <laughs> not quite. And then this is all without mentioning Everybody Loves Raymond, the long-running, hilarious sitcom that Phil created and executive produced for all nine years. You've also got a new podcast, and upcoming book, which we're going to get into today amongst the family and food talk. Please welcome to We Are Family, Phil Rosenthal. Hi, Phil.
0: Hello. <laughs> I'm so lucky to have done those things that you just mentioned, that I continue to get to do them, and now to get to meet you on this nice podcast.
1: Yay! We're so happy to have you. So we're recording this in the late afternoon. Have you thought about what you're mm-hmm. having for dinner tonight? Are, do you plan ahead with your eating? Oh, absolutely. Or are you spur of the moment?
0: When I wake up in the morning and sometimes days before, I work backwards from dinner. I know what I'm going to have for dinner. Like uh, right now I'm in New York, so it's a little bit of a vacation. And so I want to hit all the spots that I love in New York. I'm from New York originally, and I want to make sure I get to the, my favorite places or try the new places that I want to try. And so if I know like tonight is going to be somewhat uh, Chinese, then I'm not having Chinese for lunch. (laughs) So I'm working backwards from that. And then for breakfast, you know, it it depends. Do I want to go lighter because I'm going to go very heavy later? (laughs) All these things factor in. These are the important choices, Julie. I love that. So is
1: it going to be Chinese food tonight?
0: It's going to be a place called, have you ever heard of Momofuku? Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. just that
1: little place in the corner just that you know
0: that's right are <laughs> you are are you in new york right now? i
1: am yes
0: okay so this is the one that's in the uh time warner center oh okay it's in the it's in the on the third floor there and it's you know uh, one of their smaller ones it's a one of the noodle bars mm. but they have nightly specials and all these things they have those beautiful buns that are either filled with uh pork or shrimp or mushrooms or, oh my gosh, they're so delicious.
1: Magic. I love those so much. I know. I'm over here in Queens.
0: Yes. Also, speaking of Chinese food, you're in one of the Chinese food meccas of the world in Queens.
1: Yep. Very glad. And
0: guess what else is from Queens? Me. (laughs) I was born there.
1: That's a perfect segue. So where in Queens were you born?
0: I was born in Jamaica
1: Hospital. Okay. I live in Sunnyside. My daughter is six. The benefit, I feel like I love raising her in Queens, is because she gets exposed to so many different foods and cultures, and I feel like you you see that a lot in Somebody Feet Filled. But what was your upbringing like? I think you've joked before about how growing up it was like a lot of bland cooking, but what was your childhood
0: relationship with food? I was exposed to nothing. (laughs) I was exposed <laughs> to my, my family and the friends that I had uh, in the neighborhood and, and maybe in, in school, and that was it. and, and I, we did not have delicious food or, or any kind of diversity in the food. My parents both worked, neither of them valued or had time for cooking with any kind of uh, deliciousness attached to it. Uh, there was a comedian who once said, "My mother takes the food." puts it through the deflavorizer, and then it's ready. The cuisine was, by necessity, uh, cheap. Right. And, and, you know, I used to joke that in our house, meat was a punishment (laughs) because it was usually just the toughest, cheapest piece of meat, and it was cooked beyond recognition, gray. I didn't know what medium rare was. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I didn't have – delicious food or food with any flavor really until i you know went to college and i i think i was went out with some kids and i had some pasta with sauce that's all i could afford mm-hmm. but it blew my mind at how delicious it was i'm like what is this mm-hmm. they were like what it's just pasta and sauce i said no 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 what are these like chopped up little white bits in the sauce what do you mean garlic yes <laughs> garlic I never had garlic. What is this flavor explosion in my mouth right now that is garlic? I never had. Imagine being 17, 18 years old, living that many years without garlic. Wow.
1: Well, you're making up for it now.
0: (laughs) I sure am. I sure am. But you had
1: such a sweet relationship with your parents, and I loved seeing that on Somebody Feed Phil.
0: I mean, they were just the greatest, most supportive, funny, great parents, you know, Not everybody's great at everything. I can't cook either. By the way, people say, hey, you have this food show and you can't cook. I'm like, yeah, I meet a lot of great chefs around the world. They can't write a sitcom. (laughs) So we all contribute in our way, right? My parents were phenomenal in every other way. Mm -hmm. Just cooking wasn't the strong suit.
1: Right. I think you were making mole in your Oaxaca episode and you were like, does
0: anybody need somebody to write a
1: sitcom? Because that I can do.
0: (laughs) That I can do. Yes. (laughs) I stink at this, obviously. <laughs> but maybe if you need some something, some funny jokes or something, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: Did comedy or being creative in general come come naturally and easy to you as a kid? Were you always entertaining your family early on?
0: Yes, in in our house, if we weren't yelling, we were laughing. Okay. <laughs> so that was just the currency of how we communicated. My father was very very funny. In fact, I think the first time my mother saw him, he was telling jokes in a kind of amateur stage thing. He wasn't a professional comedian, but I think, I, I think he was so funny that he could have if he really, if his heart was in it, you know, mm. but he grew up as a tailor and that's what his father did and his father before him. But he was truly funny and I'm sure he passed this on to me genetically and, and it's just in the blood. Yeah. And I imitated him. And I imitated, you know, the way my mother uh, spoke. And I imitated the people I saw on TV, which is the way most people get started. You imitate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You're a, an amalgam of all the influences around you. And then one day you taste the soup and it's you. Yeah. <laughs> that becomes, you find your personality. It's an amalgam of everything around you and all your influences and everything you've experienced filtered through the way you think. Mm-hmm. That's why I tell everybody You should write, write things down just for yourself Mm -hmm. because you think, oh, I have nothing to say or I have nothing to offer, but you do. Mm -hmm. We're all different and everybody's point of view is different and everything that's happened to everybody is different. Mm -hmm. So all we are is everything that's happened to us filtered through the way we think, Mm -hmm. but that's enough to make us individual. Yes, I love
1: that. It's a little bit Plato's cave also in some ways.
0: A little bit.
1: That's a really good way of thinking. It. And I love also on the show how you have your son, Ben, pay tribute to your dad by, by telling jokes. And it's like just that, like, I don't know, that like passing along that, that the torch in a, in a really fun way.
0: I said your grandfather's force is deep within you, my son. <laughs> He's got the funny gene.
1: <laughs> your own family... Your kids, Ben and Lily, growing up, yeah, um, and your wife, obviously the wonderful actress Monica Haran. Um, what was your kind of approach to food as your own family?
0: Oh well, by the time I had my own family, food was very, very important, mm-hmm. and so it, they didn't really have a choice. We were going to eat everything, and we we're going to try everything. I don't care if they liked it; they just had to try mm. it. Right? To me, to me, that's what life is—the tasting of everything in life is its own reward. Just like they say the journey is its own reward, right? Right. So the tasting is the journey. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And one of my proudest moments as a father was we took Ben, he was three years old. We took him to our favorite little Chinese restaurant and we'd get all the things for the table. And I look over and little three-year-old Ben has his hands in the clams and black bean sauce. (laughs) We were watching him and he putting it in his mouth and I look and I see him I said, Ben, you like it? He goes, I do. I said, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my boy. cleans of Black Beans off at three. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive.
1: I, I love that. And I love how large a feature family is in Somebody Feed Phil. I feel like you don't really get that in a lot of food documentaries. Can you talk a little bit about the idea for the show? And like, Did you go into it thinking my whole family has to be involved in this in some way?
0: I just thought it was who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's naturally part of who I am. Here's how I sold the show. I said, I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. (laughs) So that defined my personality and who I am as as a guy. Mm -hmm. And the other things that come along with that are my parents and my wife and my children. My parents, I had put them in a movie. I made a movie movie called Exporting Raymond. It's a documentary. When Raymond was over, the Russians called and asked if I would help them turn my sitcom into something called Everybody Loves Kostya. Oh my gosh. Meaning they were going to do the Russian version of our show. Wow. And they invited me to come and help. And I said I would on one condition that I could film the whole process. And I did but the best part of that movie is i was at a russian family's house for dinner and i was talking to the grandparents and i asked them what they do and they they like to use the computer i said you know how to use the computer yes i said you know how to uh skype or or zoom or skype at the time mm-hmm. right uh they said yes i said this i have to see because i came from the world where my parents didn't really know about this stuff so to see these older russian people they knew how to skype they said who should we call i said call my parents <laughs> and they call my parents. My parents just happened to be up in New York and it's the best scene in the movie. Oh my
2: gosh. I kind of see that. It's
0: the funniest, greatest thing. Luckily the Russian people spoke English and luckily my parents were awake when they called and they did it. And it was hysterical. And when I saw this in the movie theater and the laughs that it was getting, mm-hmm. I never forgot this. Mm. So Skyping with my parents in somebody feed Phil, I was going to do that for a couple of reasons. One, if you come from the world of sitcoms and comedy, you never forget when somebody got a big laugh and you want that again. <laughs> so they're good. Second, you're doing a show, you want funny characters, right? Yeah. You just want, you look for that. Mm-hmm. You don't want a formula, but you want little touchstones through the show that, you know, people can look forward to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Skype or Zoom home is the modern day equivalent of the postcard it's true so it made sense if i'm doing a show for you to get you to travel on your family vacation right Mm -hmm. this is going to be part of it you're gonna skype home hey ma look where i am look what i ate today look at this look i turned the computer to show you i show you the outside look where i am look here's uh here's what i ate look at this (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. And then you check in with them and you get their news from home, too. Mm-hmm. That's part of travel. Yes. It's a fun part. I love that. In real time. In real time.
1: You don't have to wait for the postcard to arrive.
0: <laughs> That's right. I love that. But my parents, you know, they, what's funny is that all the years that they did the show with me, I would say, Mom, you want to you want to hear what I ate today? She's not particularly. I said, you understand what the show is, right? You're like
1: it's literally
0: called <laughs> somebody. Feed Phil. You know what the show is. By the way, she didn't know the name of the show either. <laughs>
1: And she just never heard it? Or did you or think people were just like throwing around the phrase? Somebody's got a feud Phil over here.
0: She would just forget. I think we did a promo once for Netflix.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we thought the, the funny part would be them uh, trying to find the show on Netflix, like doing the search. Oh, yeah. Right. Just trying to figure out how Netflix works. We thought that was going to be the funny part. Mm-hmm. No, the funny part was they don't know the name of their son's TV show. <laughs> Who's feeding somebody? Who's feeding Phil? Who's, uh, what does Phil want?
1: Someone gives something to Phil? Phil has a need? Somebody. <laughs> Phil will starve if <laughs> nobody feeds him. Everyone loves Phil? Oh my God. Yeah, that they're familiar with. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny, but it's such a metaphor. I feel like we're always trying
0: to be seen by our parents, right? <laughs> you got it, you got it. But, you know, it. I leave it all in because I know it's relatable. Mm-hmm. After doing Everybody Loves Raymond for nine years, you start to hit on things almost by accident mm-hmm. that you realize are relatable to the audience. And that turns out to be the most important part because if the audience relates to you, that means they're connected to you. Yeah. And they're connected to the show and to the situations. And once you're relatable to them, once they believe you as real people, right? Mm-hmm. And identify with you. Doesn't matter. They could be from, I would get letters during Raymond from Sri Lanka that said, that's my mother. Because the more specific you get in your writing and your characterizations, the more specific, it turns out, the more universal it becomes. Not the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's not that if you write vaguely and try to appeal to everybody. No. Right. We relate to specifics in love. And be vulnerable about it. Yes, and even if your specific isn't mine, I'm going to relate to you just because you have a specific. Right. Because I have a specific. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. And you know that they're being you're being honest with each other, which is that honesty. And I feel like you touched on this in the show also, just that connection that people make over food. Yes. And I think you sort of say there's a sort of beautiful way of putting it, just that like everybody needs to eat and everyone needs to kind of come around the table. And like, it's a great, the great, you know.
0: The great connector. Yeah. It's the great connector. Food is the great connector. And then for me, laughs mm-hmm. are the cement. Right. So food plus laughs. Right. That's the chef's kiss. You have got it. <laughs> that's it. And so if you and I are meeting for the first time, here we are over Zoom. But wouldn't this be so much better if we were at the table eating something?
1: Can I tell you my stomach literally just growled? <laughs> I feel like my <laughs> stomach's like, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> Talking to Phil Rosenthal,
0: not eating. And And I find when I meet someone new, it takes a little bit of the awkwardness away from the new meeting because we're eating. Yes. And not only is it something that everybody does and can relate to, but we like it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Listen, we all have to do other things that we don't like. You know, it's the show's not called Somebody Fold Laundry with Phil. That wouldn't be fun.
1: (laughs) You're making me laugh because I can't see it off camera. I have my big old basket of laundry that needs folding right
0: now. So I could 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 start
1: folding right now and make it.
0: Somebody fold laundry you know itself. what, you're not nervous at all. You've done this for a while. But if you were nervous, I would tell you go fold that laundry and talk to me because it's an activity that you're familiar with and you concentrate on that and you don't worry about, oh, I'm on TV or I'm on a podcast or right. I'm on, right, or I'm meeting something new. That's
1: true. I, I love that. I'm going to start folding laundry in in more life situations.
0: (laughs) Hold on, (laughs) let me go get my laundry. Hold the phone. Um, Yes, you got job interview, you're nervous, bring your laundry. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news...
1: Now you have a book coming out this fall, appropriately called. I'm so excited! Somebody feed Phil the book.
0: Um, Somebody feed Phil the book. I love it. The publisher said you left out the comma. <laughs> I said no, no, you left out your sense of humor. <laughs> I love that. So what? What can we expect from the book? The book is a nice companion book. Mm-hmm. It has all the stories that you would want of of how we got started and what we do and what we look for and how we make the show. And what the show's about and all the places. And I have something to say about every place that we went, my real feelings. So all that. But here's the best part of the book. Yeah. The most requested of recipes from the first four seasons of the show. There's 60 of them from around the world. I think this is the best cookbook ever. Oh, my gosh. Because of that. Oh, wow. Yes.
1: It has recipes?
0: Well, it's mostly recipes. Oh, cool. That's awesome. With big photos. And if you get the audiobook, it's me reading what I can read, all the stories, and then the recipes you get on your computer with the pictures. What? Okay. So it's both. It's multimedia.
1: I like that. I want to try that out. I like it too. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so do you have a particularly memorable meal that you've had with your family that you think back and think like, that was just wonderful? I feel like you've had so many meals. <laughs> You're like the one I'm having tonight.
0: There's one that's bringing to mind, I want to say it's uh, like a 20th anniversary Mm. dinner in Paris, (gasps) yeah! and the kids were with us, and it was just magnificent.
1: What did you eat? Do you remember?
0: Uh, I think roast chicken was there. Mm, I think big plates of French fries that only, you know... (sighs) A Paris bistro can do perfectly. They
1: do, and fro- and roast chicken. They just the simple
0: stuff. They do so perfectly. The simple. That's my favorite stuff. I know. Right? Yes. It's the thing. Here's my favorite kind of food, mm-hmm. the food we know very well from childhood, maybe even
2: mm-hmm.
0: elevated to the best of that you ever had. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite food experience.
1: Yes. Like the best hot dog you've ever had in your life. That's right. You remember
0: that. And it it then takes a special place in your heart. Right. Because you loved it as a kid or you loved it your whole life even. And now you're having the best one.
1: Right. And sometimes I feel like the best hot dog could be the best hot dog because you had it at a memorable moment in time watching a specific baseball game, seeing the Mets win, whatever. Or... It's something really fancy, and, like, there's a lot of these kind of, like, I think Korean hot dog chops popping up with, like, really elaborate toppings. I feel like the, yes. the what makes it memorable could be a whole
0: spectrum of things. It's really fun, though, right? Oh, hmm Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes your childhood memories are attached to terrible foods mm-hmm. that you then love also.
2: Right. That's right. And
0: taste has nothing to do with it. Right. I'm using it as an example, the Dodger dog. mm It's a terrible hot dog. Okay. It's actually terrible. (laughs) It's the shame of Los Angeles. It's a limp noodle of a hot dog with no snap. Oh. It tastes like kind of old bologna. Mm. It's just a terrible, limp, terrible thing. And they'll never, ever change it because it's so beloved by people because... Their dad took them to the ball game when they were kids, and that's what they ate.
1: Right, it's nostalgia. Yeah. I love that memories are so kind of embaked in. That's right. What you eat. So, talking a little bit about everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, we are obviously a podcast about family, but that is so much a show about family. Of course, it's the whole thing. Um. So, what were some important things that you felt like you wanted to depict about family life when you were making the show? Would you say?
0: You know, when I was growing up, we had shows like The Brady Bunch. Right, Mm -hmm. And that to me was like, oh, what an idealized, beautiful family that is. Everyone gets along. They don't fight. And if they fight it for a second and then mom comes in and everybody's sweet, they don't yell, right? They don't, they're nice. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. It's not my family. Right. So I thought, what if we did a show that was more like my family? Mm Mm-hmm. And there had been shows to, as an example, you know, All in the Family was one of the great classics, mm-hmm. as, as politically astute as it was and, and satirical as it was. The reason I think it connected with people wasn't because of the politics so much or the topical humor of the day. It really was you connected to it because their characters were so relatable and were real family mm. with yelling and with, you know, arguments and all kinds of things. Then comes, you know, other things like Roseanne, which was the original Roseanne show. It almost held up a mirror to America. Mm-hmm. That's what a living room really looks like. Mm-hmm. That's how people really are. I remember a season where the teen daughter didn't talk the whole season to them. Could that be more relatable? Oh, completely. Completely. I mean, that's real. So all these shows, you know, they influence me. And I just, you know, I base Everybody Loves Raymond, obviously on Ray's family Mm -hmm. he really had you know twin boys and older daughter the family lived close by the parents the brother really lived with them but what I didn't know about the characters of them I filled in with the characters from my family and because we were so specific
2: Mm -hmm.
0: about the characters and about the situations 90 percent of what you saw on that show came from something that happened to me or to Ray or to one of the other writers. Mm -hmm. If you work for me, I would say, go home, get in a fight with your husband, come back in and tell me about it. That's how the show works. That's fantastic. And so because of that, we had dinner home every night. We didn't stay late. I was going to ask you about that. Because that's where the stories were coming from. That's where the stories come hey, from. Okay,
1: so I'm a kid who grew up in showbiz. My mom's a costume designer. My dad's an actor. My mom worked on Law & Order basically the whole entire run. Wow. But yes. we ate so late, and it would be like we'd be so lucky if she came home. Right. So I know how hard that is in show business to make sure that everybody's is
0: yes. <laughs> home eating. I planned the schedule so we could do it.
1: Obviously, it must have felt like the show was better off for that, and there must have been a much better – You know, it kind of fosters that feeling of family amongst the cast and crew.
0: How can you write about real life if you don't have one? Yes, that's true. (laughs) Right? So that was very, very important to me. I worked on many shows before mine where that wasn't a priority. And we were there till three in the morning. Mm -hmm. Nobody saw anybody, right? Except the other guys in the room. Mm -hmm. That's no way to live. I didn't want to live that way. So we worked very hard so that we wouldn't have to work.
1: (laughs) I like that. How is the craft service tables that uh, everybody loves Raymond?
0: Legendary. Legendary. The craft service at Raymond was the best in the business. I bet. I made sure of that. Because, first of all, you want to pay people a living wage. Mm -hmm. That's a good way of showing that you love them. Second, and the whole idea is to create a family. Mm -hmm. A family of people that you personally want to Spend time with them because you're going to see a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. So why not Why not be nice? Yeah. So good salary, be nice. And then what's the other way to show people you care about that? What if you had great food around the set mm-hmm. and in the office? What if there was great food? Because I worked on shows where there wasn't. No. I once worked on a show, and this was a popular show. Yeah. I won't tell you the name, but it was a show you heard of. Mm-hmm. And a memo came around. We noticed some of you are coming into the kitchen in the morning and putting milk on your cereal. Mm-hmm. The cereal is for snacks. The milk is for coffee. Stop. We do not provide breakfast for you. Please do not put milk on your
2: cereal. Oh,
1: my
0: God. And this was a memo sent to everybody in this office of a hit show. Oh my God. And I look at it like. In disbelief, the way you are now, and I thought to myself then and there, if I'm ever lucky enough to have my own show, we're gonna have milk on that cereal. Yeah, huh? Like I'm
1: like, what happens if you eat the cereal snack and then you drink a glass of milk? Like, does it's that breaking rules if they come together in your mouth? Oh my god, that's ridiculous!
0: It's bananas. There was a show I heard about where if you were had a title of producer or above. Mm-hmm you could have the name brand sodas Stop. in the fridge. If you were below this title, you got the store brand. Oh, my God. Knock off
1: sodas. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How cheap is That's that? That's ridiculous. No, at Law & Order, they had a, um, a vending machine with, like, all free sodas. That basically made my childhood right there.
0: That's right. By the way, my kids loved, loved coming to the set yeah. because they were getting, you know... Anything they wanted to eat. Yeah, of course.
1: Um, How old are they now? They're young adults now at this point, right?
0: They are 27. Mm -hmm. My son, Ben, and my daughter's 24. Got it.
1: So, yeah, what kind of parent do you feel like you were to them? And were you and Monica very different on how
0: you would parent? You'd have to ask them. (laughs) That's true. I think uh, we tried to be nice and good. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you always feel like you're failing. Yeah that's
1: true always that's the conundrum of being a parent
0: oh my god he's crying oh it's like that what was the pixar movie where the core memory is formed and you can't do anything about oh, yes, it that's so what no. was
1: the? no um In, yes inside out inside out <laughs> right yep
0: i mean that what a brilliant brilliant yeah depiction of that because every parent feels that way mm-hmm. oh no we you try as hard as you can is gonna be emotional scarring you just can't do anything about it they'll have to work it out in therapy later like you did
1: that's what i say it's like our job to give them things to talk about in therapy they need things to talk about so that's yes, what we're here for i'm,
0: I'm very <laughs> i'm very sorry i'm sorry for whatever oh but we tried. yeah
1: <laughs> um can you tell us a little bit about your new podcast naked lunch it's co-hosted with your friend david wilde right
0: David Wild and I, yeah, we've been friends for 25 years. Mm-hmm. He wrote the first night's nice review about Everybody Loves Raymond in Rolling Stone magazine.
1: Oh, and so then you were like, you're my new best friend.
0: <laughs> well, I just called up to thank him. And, you know, we just started talking. We just felt like brothers from way back, mm-hmm. right? It's just sometimes you have a connection with people. Mm-hmm. I said, let's have lunch. And we've been having lunch ever since. And the great thing is, You know, I have these friends in show business and comedy, and he has friends in show business too, but he has a whole side of himself that knows everybody in music, everyone. Mm. And so he'd bring some people like that to lunch. And at the end of every lunch, I would always say, we should have been taping this. Right. And so now we are. (laughs) I love that. And it is, again, over food. It's over lunch. (laughs) So sometimes you'll hear the chewing,
1: but it's okay making those connections over food. Yes. Um, so we always ask everybody what, you know, it's obviously been a really tough past couple of years to be families yes. and to kind of see each yes. other. And you've been so great about mastering, you know, connection through zoom. What are your kind of like hopes for your family for the next couple of years? Would you say?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think co- if COVID taught us anything, right. It's how precious every moment with, people i was going to say people you love but it's people in general
2: mm-hmm.
0: that 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 we need each other yeah we're interdependent as a species
2: mm-hmm.
0: we need that that was the you know not counting the tr- real tragedies of covid where you actually literally lost people mm-hmm. but you lost the connections to people mm-hmm. zoom is fine but it doesn't cut it right
2: oh yeah, yeah. we
0: know that uh it makes it all sweeter now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. My joke was when when this is over, when COVID's over, we're going to be so grateful for life to be returned to us, right? And that gratitude, that feeling, is going to last two weeks.
1: <laughs> uh, I feel like, <laughs> and that's... then we're going to take it
0: all for granted I again. I
1: think that's true
0: <laughs> until the next terrible thing. Oh, God, <laughs> I'm saying to you, my message is: don't take it for granted. You see what can happen. Yes. We have to treasure these moments that we have where we travel, where we eat with our friends, where we eat with our family, where we hug our family and our friends. That's the message, right? Go out, explore, make friends. That's the key to life. I love that.
1: And now I'm very hungry. And I feel like that's the perfect way to end a podcast episode with Phil Rosenthal. Thank you so much for coming on We Are Family. This has been so nice to chat. And I hope your your dinner is delicious tonight.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Julia. Oh, I know it will be. I'm rarely disappointed.
1: Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow We Are Family on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at parents.com slash podcast. Tune in to all our episodes during this season with Jack Black, Phil Rosenthal, Tamara Maury housley and Michael Ian Black. And if you missed any of our previous episodes in seasons one and two, they're waiting for you right now. This season of We Are Family is presented by me, Julia Dennison, and produced by Jim Hankey. Editing is by Jason Mack, and thanks also to our production team at Pod People,
2: Rachel King, Matt Sav, and Danielle Roth.